0: Now, uh, as we continue on that, that trajectory this morning of thinking about living like Jesus, I want to ask you to go ahead and pull out your Bible. And uh, we're going to have the Scriptures on the screen, but there should be a Bible around you underneath the chair. If you don't own a Bible, I encourage you uh, to take one of those with you as a gift. They're not the nicest Bible you could get, but they're a Bible, and it works. And uh, get the job done to get, get into God's Word. I encourage you to read it for yourself um, even this morning. But it's also up here on the screen for you. And we're going to be in the book of 1 John because we're working our way through this book slowly but surely. And we'll be in verse three, is where we're going to start. Now, uh, yesterday I had the privilege uh, of being a part of um, Upward Football, flag football to be exact. And I'm coaching Upward Flag Football, which we're hosting here on our fields out, out front. And it's a lot of fun in some ways, and it's a lot of frustration in, in some ways. I'm just going to be honest, right? Uh, I've got first and second graders, and, uh, and sometimes they're little space cadets. Um, and so they're kind of out in left field, and you're, you're, uh, you're trying to teach them the game of football. And all the while, uh, like, there's moments where they're really thinking about ice cream. And you're trying to talk about, like, hey, hey we gotta hand the ball off to so, so-and-so. And they're like, say what? And, and so literally, like, yesterday, we, we get together for the first time, and we circle up, and we're huddled up, and I get ready to call the first play, and one of the kids goes, hey, can we change our team name? <laughs> I'm like... <laughs> You know, this is the kind of stuff, you know, it's like, okay, God, I know you put me in this position to grow me right now spiritually, okay? I'm going to be patient right now, right? And we, get, we huddle up the next time, and the kids are like, hey, i got to play for us, you know? And I'm like, well, we've been practicing all these plays, and no, we don't need to hear any of your plays. We've already got our plays figured out, okay? We got, this, we got this covered, all right? But I noticed that the kids were struggling to be motivated, and it was funny because I was talking to another one of our parents last night even. I was the kids were struggling to be motivated um, to go pull the flags of the other kids. And so, you know, you do what you do as a coach, and as a parent, you, you, you bribe them, right? That's what you're supposed to do. So, so I like get down right on their level, and I'm like, listen, here's the deal. Whoever pulls the most flags, there's gonna be a surprise, Okay? <laughs> And they're like, "What's the surprise?" And I was like, "I don't know, but it's gonna be good, right?" <laughs> and so, literally, I'm like I'm trying to bribe these kids, you know, go pull the flags, and and then a little later, I'm like, "Listen, I want you to act like whoever has the ball that they're carrying an ice cream cone that you want, <laughs> okay? And go take their ice cream cone away, make them cry, okay?" And so, let's like, that's just, I'm using whatever motivation I can to get these kids to go and do what they're supposed to do. And here's the thing: I tell you all that because the truth is, is that motivations are powerful. Motivations are powerful in our lives. Not just an ice cream cone for a kid, but in our own lives, our, our hearts, like our motivations drive us, right? They compel us. And the scripture says that the love of God should, should compel us forward. And I want you to hear me say this morning that I hope you are not compelled or even trying to accomplish what God's word tells us to accomplish based on this feeling of guilt or shame or fear. When you say things like, oh, I have to go to church, or I need to be a good person, or I I hope I can be this because I don't want people to think I'm a bad person. Like, those are not good motivations. In fact, they're motivations that won't last. They're motivations that won't keep you growing in your faith because you're going to give up. You're going to realize, oh man, I just keep failing. I keep messing up. But let me tell you a motivation that will last forever, and that's God's love. God's love will compel us forward. And last week as we ended our passage, we read one of the most incredible scriptures, one of the most amazing sections of scriptures in 1 John, where he said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, if you go to church 18 times and run around in circles 200 times, and then you jump up and down, and then you hold your mouth just right, then I'll forgive you. Right? Whatever it is that we try to put out there is these behavior things that we think will get God's approval. Listen, no, he says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just. Forgive us your sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because he goes on to tell us that we have an advocate, Jesus, who's our defense attorney. He doesn't just forgive us, but he actually defends us before the judge, our heavenly father. Isn't that awesome? Awesome. Like literally, Jesus stands up in in, in the courtroom of heaven and he says, they are forgiven, they are free, they can go. But here's why he can say that, because he's already paid the penalty. He's already paid the penalty. He took care of our issues. It's not that we're innocent. It's that he's paid the price for our behavior. He's paid the price for our sin. He's paid the price for our rebellion to him, which is crazy. It's crazy love. And that's what we hope motivates and compels our hearts to want to even be here this morning, to sing to God, to worship God, to want to live different, changed lives every day. So let's look in the text this morning as we we jump in here. And I want you to hear these words, not just from a lens of legalism, because as soon as I start talking about behavior, many people start thinking, oh, here we go, more rules. You're trying to make me feel bad. Listen, the Holy Spirit comes in, the light illuminates our hearts, and sometimes it reveals junk. Because not only do we have a junk drawer in our house, we have a junk drawer in our heart. Okay? Not only do we have things, where, places where we stuff the stuff when families are coming over or, or friends are coming over, we have it in our own hearts. We have a junk drawer when we go to church. And we say, let's stuff it away. Don't anybody see that stuff? And God says, no, bring it into the light. I want to heal you. I want to set you free from that stuff. So God's light comes into our lives and it illuminates and it, it exposes. And let's be honest, exposing, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. But it's when we're exposed that we find the grace of God to meet us. It's where we find his love and his mercy and his tenderness and his compassion, his gentleness. Not just to beat us down over sin, but to set us free from sin. So we think about this passage this morning. Hear this through the lens of what he's just said. That Jesus is our advocate and that he is our propitiation. He took on the wrath of God that we should have taken on. Verse 3. This is how we are sure that we have come to know him, by keeping his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him, yet doesn't keep his commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is perfected. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have had from the beginning. The old command is the message that you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you. Anybody confused yet? Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother remains in the light And there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now I want us to stop there. We're going to break this apart for a minute. So the first thing that John tells us is he says, you know what, if you want to know for sure that you know God, what do you got to look at? What you say or what you do? What you do, you see, because our words should be tested by our works. Our words should be tested by our works. Now, before we jump down this train, because this is, a, this, is a, this is an interesting spot here, and I know as a kid growing up, when I heard things like this, uh, particularly as a teenager, when you're dealing with depravity and hormones and all the issues of rebellion, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you are like, I remember those days. Some of you are like, oh yeah, it's kind of fuzzy back there. And listen, a lot of times when you hear things like this, you instantly start to doubt your salvation, Okay, the accuser, he comes against you and he starts saying, you're not really saved. You're not really a Christian. You're not really in Christ. Listen, if we could save ourselves, you should doubt it. But we can't save ourselves. Christ does that, so we can't undo it. We can believe on Christ, and if we have believed in Christ, we are now his child, and we are in his hand, and nothing can take us from his hand. But here's the thing. When John's saying this this morning, he uses this word. He says, if, this is how we are sure that we have come to know him, think this is really synonymous. He's going to use several different phrases to say kind of the same thing throughout the book of First John. Being in the light, in fellowship with God, knowing God. He's using this, this different wording, different phrasing, to say the same thing, which is to have a personal relationship with God, to know that you are his child, right? To be in a right relationship because of what Christ has done to bring us into that right relationship, So when he says, if you claim to know God here, one of the things he's he's specifically talking about is he's saying, if you claim to have a a real relationship with God, as in a growing relationship with God, a a, a developing relationship with God, if if you claim to have that, then guess what? Your behavior will start to change. What you do in your life is gonna look different because you know why? Because he's made you new. You're not the same person you were before that moment. When he transitioned you from being on a path to death and destruction onto a path of light and love. You're going to be different. You're going to be changed. You're going to be transformed in your behavior. So when we start out this morning, we've got to remember, he says, listen, our words, that's not really the measure of whether or not we are in Christ. Whether we are walking with Christ. The measure is, what's going on in our life? What's going on in our works? What's happening in our lives? Now again, he's not saying, let me just make absolutely certain you are with me, he is not saying that your works are what saves you. But he is saying if you have a close relationship with God, your life should start to look different, increasingly so over time. You with me? You there? Okay. Now, in saying that, Love for God, and he says this in this passage, he says, listen, he says uh, verse, this is verse uh, four, he says, the one who says, I have come to know him, yet doesn't keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So he's really emphasizing this again. John's generally a gentle-spirited guy, okay? He's a pretty gentle-spirited guy, but if you remember way back when, because he's one of the disciples, he was also known as one of the the sons of thunder. So I feel like, you know, he's being pretty strong here, it's like he's kind of returning to his roots, Listen, if you, don't, if you don't follow God in your lifestyle, you're a liar. Just, let's just shoot straight here, okay? But then he goes on to say in verse 5, But whoever keeps his word, keeps God's word in him, truly in him the love of God is perfected. Now when I hear that, I'm like, okay, does that mean John is saying that we're going to be perfect? That our love for God is going to be perfect? Anybody in here perfect? okay. If you say yes, then you're no longer perfect, right? You just lied. (laughs) Here's the thing. None of us in here are perfect. None of us in here have it all together. None of us in here have it all figured out. But what is John trying to say? I believe he's trying to say this to us this morning. When you begin the process of trying to obey God, your tendency is going to be to do it because he says so. So it's like there's a sense in which it's a little bit of a, I have to obey. But as you and I, catch this, as you and I start to grasp the greatness of God's love for us, it captures our heart. His love goes down deep and it moves from I have to obey God to I want to obey God. Are you with me? So what happens is I want to obey God because I realize how much he loves me. I realize how much great love he has lavished on me, as as it says in Ephesians. Because he cares so deeply about me. He gave his life for me. He did everything to pursue me. And in my mess, in my junk, in all the issues that I've got, he says, I love you. And as that gets a hold of my heart, as that really takes root in my life, I want to obey him. I want to honor him. And I want people to see how great he is, how good he is, how loving he is, how gracious he is. And so John is saying, when you really get a hold of that, his love is perfected. It is increasingly growing in you that you have a desire, a hunger to honor him, to bless him, to respond. That's what worship's all about. That's what worship is all about. Worship is not about us. Worship's about responding to the greatness of God, to the grace of God, to the awesomeness of who he is. And I I don't know about you, but I want, over the course of my life, however long God leaves me on this earth, I want as I get older to increasingly obey God because I want to. Because my desire is to honor him and to bless him because of how much he has poured out on me. I mean, even understand here, like the scripture tells us we love God, why? Because he first loved us. That's why we love God. Not because we just like came up with this, man, I love God. I, I, I just, I love him. No, we love God because he first loved us. He initiated with us. He started this thing. He instigated this relationship. And I'm thankful for that today. But I want you to understand that love for God is a process and not a point. Now, um, back in the year 2000, I married my bride, Jada Larice Brown. I married her in Lubbock, Texas. And we stood in front of our friends and our family. And we had a ceremony and we, it was an awesome day. It was a lot of fun at uh, Quaker Avenue Church of Christ. And I remember being there still vividly in my mind. I can picture that day and I can picture them opening those doors. I can picture my wife walking down and I can picture me crying like a baby. And I can picture just the, the beautiful moment that that was. And I can remember making those vows to her. And I remember saying to her, I love you. And because I love you, I commit my life to you. And some of you have been married in the room, you, you, you remember that moment, don't you? Significant, opening your mouth and making a declaration. I love you. And, I, and because I love you, I want to give my life to you until death do us part. That, that's the covenant I want to make before God and before my friends and family here. I want people to know I'm, I'm, I love you. Now, what, had, what would happen if, or what would have, have, have happened? Can I say that right? If I said that, but then I walked out the door and I completely ignored her from that point forward, what would, (laughs) I think I just heard she would kill you. I think I heard that from over here somewhere. (laughs) What would have happened if I just ignored her? What if I, what if I just walked out the door and I thought, man, you know what? I set up this great honeymoon trip. I think I'm just going to go by myself. I'm going to go hang out in the mountains by myself. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to go, I'm going to go, you know, I think I'm going to go get my own house Live, live by myself. I think I'm going to, you know, go do my own thing from now on. I, I told her I loved her. I declared it. I made a covenant, yeah, with my, my mouth, but now I'm just going to go do whatever I want. That's, that's insanity. Nobody would do that, right? Not in the right minds. But here's the thing. Over the course of our marriage, my prayer has been that I wouldn't just have made a declaration at that point in time, but that increasingly, more and more, I am serving her, I am learning who she is, how to meet her needs, how to care for her, and how to show her love. It's perfected, it's growing, it's being established that we have a marriage and, and, I, and I love her now more than I did at that day. I love her now more. Uh, and, and there's days that I am not a very likable guy and that amazes me that she continues to love me in, the, in spite of all that. And I'm so thankful that over the course of our marriage, we're increasing in our love for one another, not just because of what we said with our mouths, but what we live with our lives. And with God, we can make a declaration, God, we love you. God, we love singing these great songs to you. God, we love declaring that you are good and that we, we want to follow you. But listen, the question is, is what's going on in our hearts? Is God's love being perfected in us? Is our love for God being perfected? Well, what does it really look like for God's love to be perfected? Well, verse 5, second part of it says this. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him has a relationship connected with God. In him should walk just as he walked. Who's he? Jesus. If you want to know what perfect love looks like, it looks like Jesus. It looks like Jesus. You know why Jesus was a sinless man. He became fully man and he wore our flesh. And he was sinless because he was perfectly loving. He perfectly loved his father and he perfectly loved people. (laughs) Think about that for a second. When you perfectly love God and you perfectly love people, you won't sin against them. Are you with me? You won't sin against them because you love them. You, you love them. You want what's best for them. You want to honor them. You want to bless them. He's the only human to ever be perfectly love. In fact, to the degree that it says we know what love is, that man would lay down his life for his friend, and that's exactly what Jesus did. He laid down his life for us because he's perfectly loving. He is the pattern. He is the model. Our lives should look increasingly more and more and more and more and more like Jesus. Our lives should look more and more like him over the course of time. You know, if, if you've got any friends you hang out with um, on a regular basis, when you very first started hanging out with them, you probably noticed they said things or they had certain mannerisms that were reflected uh, in their behaviors, and, and you started noticing you were doing those things. You ever, you ever seen that happen? Um, if you get married uh, or you even have a significant uh, relationship, uh, you know, with, it could be friends, it could be a, a relationship with a, a future spouse, maybe you haven't even gotten engaged yet. You spend time with people, guess what? You start talking like them, right? You start acting like them. You start saying things that they say. Now Harley was up here earlier, and for those of you that are guests here, you may not know this, but Harley's from Australia. And I met Harley um, a, a while back uh, when we were in Houston, Texas, and he, he worked with me there as an intern and then uh, an associate as a ministry there. And and I, I remember all of his Australianisms that he brought over. And it was so funny, some of the things he would say, and I'd be like, what? Wait, what? What did you just say? And it took me a little while, and I had to have a translator for a little while. And then um, finally we kind of got through some of that season, but then I started catching myself saying some of those things. And people were like, what did you just say? I was like, oh, I'm sorry, that's a Harleyism. You know, it's like, it's, it's something from Harley. I, I didn't even realize I did it. You know, just start picking up on that stuff. And it's funny, his wife Liz, I hear her talk, and I hear her say things, and I'm like, you got that from Harley. That's hilarious. But we do the same thing. Or you can like, come to my house, you come to the shock house, and we have a two-year-old son named Cray. I talked about him last week, if you, about the uh, chocolate chips all over his face, some of y'all may remember that. And, uh, and he will grab my phone, and he'll take the phone, and he'll put it between his shoulder and his ear, and he'll walk around like this. And he'll just be like, I mean, he's not saying anything, he's just kind of jab, jab, jabber, jab and I'm like, his mama. <laughs> I know it's going to get me in trouble, but... she actually says something he's just jabbering okay but that's what she does she has to walk around she she has to multitask you know I can't do that I got to go sit out and like don't talk to me anybody I just need to focus here you know that's me all right but she just does that and he follows that listen who you hang out with who you spend time with who you engage in your life you're going to start to act like them you're going to start to take on their characteristics their traits so here's the same truth for us when, we, when it comes to our relationship with God and why I'm making that shameless plug for you to be in God's Word. Because if you spend time with God in His Word, your life will start to reflect His love. You will start to walk in His light. You will start to walk in His love. The way you see people will start to change. The way you start to engage your neighborhood will change. The way you start to see your coworkers will change. The way you start to see your cranky boss will change. The way you start to see a cranky spouse will change. Will change because God will change you and transform you by the renewing of your mind is what it says in Romans 12 because you've been with him you've spent time with him you've engaged with him so maybe you're asking the question well how do I actually do that how do I actually become like Christ well let me let me just tell you what what he says here in the passage it's an interesting thought he says in verse 7 and again hang with me for a second because it's going to sound a little confusing Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old command that you've had from the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Wait, you just said you were not writing a new command, but now you are writing a new command. Wh- which is it, John? Right? What is he trying to say? Well, let me just try to unpack this briefly for you. John says, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old command. This old command, uh, you c- it can actually go a couple different ways here. And from what we understand, we don't fully know John's brain, but we do know that in one sense, he's talking about going from commandments, plural, to command, singular, meaning that he's talking about how that all of the commandments, plural, could be summed up in one command, singular, and we all know what that command is because he gives it to us in the Gospels. What is that command? To love God And love people. It sounds like two, but they're actually two in one, okay? Because they go together. You can't separate the two. You can't divorce those two ideas. Love God and love people. Vertical, horizontal, right? And he says that's not a new commandment. In fact, go back into the early part of your Bible. If you don't know your Bible very well, that's okay. Deuteronomy chapter six. God's talking to his people of Israel and he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God and you should love him, love God with all of your heart, with all of your strength, with all of your might, okay? You should love God with all that you are completely, And then it goes on to Leviticus 19, 18, where he says you should also love your neighbor as yourself. Those are both Old Testament passages in the first five books of the Bible. It's an old command, isn't it? Not only that, but John had been saying from from the day one, Jesus, when he came, he came and he gave us a new command. His new command was, listen, don't be so caught up in doing all the right things. Love God, love people, and you'll do the right thing. Are you with me? (laughs) So if you love God and you love people, You're going to treat God differently and you're going to treat people differently. It's displayed in our works. It kind of goes all together. It's all kind of coming back on itself. So here's the thing He's not writing a new command, He's writing an old command. And yet He is writing a new command because what has changed with Jesus? What changed with Jesus? Well, prior to Jesus, they were all trying to keep these rules, they were trying to keep these laws. And when they did, they got really self righteous and arrogant. Hey, look at me. Look how good I can obey the law. And people still do this, don't they? Every time we do the right thing, it's really hard not to get prideful. Hey, look at me, I'm a good person. But see, here's the thing. When Jesus came, the light who came into the dark world, he fulfilled the law perfectly because he was love. And he set the new pattern for us. It even says this in verse eight. It says this. I am writing you a new command which is true in him. In him, notice that, in him. Who's in him? In Jesus He's the new pattern for the way we should obey the law, how we should view the law. He said he didn't come to do away with the law. He actually came to fulfill the law because the law is about love. He's the pattern. But here's the cool thing. Not only is it just that it's about love, but he goes on to say, in you, in you. Now that's weird. Now in the Old Testament, just briefly, you gotta understand this. In the Old Testament, the people of God, they were working away to keep the law. They had been set apart to be God's people, to demonstrate his glory to all the nations. He wanted them to reflect their, his, God's goodness to all the nations, right? If you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that that's, God's goal was a distinct people, a people that were set apart, he would use to help other people see who, how good he was. But it shifted with Jesus, Because no longer was God just giving them a set of laws to follow. He actually was going to indwell them with his presence. And his presence was going to be the power they needed to actually obey the law. Listen, here's the thing today. Why I can stand up here with hope in the face of feeling overwhelmed by the commands and the demands of God. Even the loving God and loving people, which I don't do perfectly and and blow it every single day. There is a new power source to love people and it's called the Holy Spirit inside of us. God in you and God in me gives us the capacity to love people that no one else can love. It gives us the capacity to love God even when we don't feel like it. He, the Holy Spirit, gives us the power to overcome all of the barriers and all the excuses and all the issues that we have to truly learn how to love In fact, that's why Jesus could say, love your enemies. Love your enemies? Jesus, are you smoking something? Why why would we do that? Because here's the thing. When God loves through you, you can love anyone. When God is in you, it's possible. You won't be perfect. John even said last week, he said, listen, he said, you know, I write this to you so that you won't sin, but, but if you do, like, I know you're going to. We have an advocate. We have a defense attorney. But he's not just an advocate. He's not just a defense attorney. He's not even just the one who took on the wrath. He is God who has come to live in his people and to help us learn to live a life of love. Not just light, but a life of love. And we're going to unpack this a whole lot more in the second half of this book, Loving One Another, and how that displays to the world the goodness of God. But he even here, just gives us a really practical look at what this means. Because now we have this new picture of what it means to follow Jesus, and we have a new power of the Holy Spirit in us. But he says in the passage, he says, The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother is in the darkness until now. There was a group of people called the Gnostics, That John's addressing here and their idea was that you could know God in this mysterious mystical way and yet you didn't really have to care about people like there's a way to kind of disconnect your relationship with God or your knowledge of God at least from actually how you lived with people that is not a biblical idea okay that is that is a lie from the pit of hell your relationship with God my relationship with God deeply impacts how we interact with people Our love for God is directly correlated to our love with people. If you're struggling to love people, you're probably struggling to love God. If you're struggling in your life to be motivated, we need to come back and remember just how great the love of God is for us, which will propel us towards obedience and love for God. To remember how great he He is, how awesome he is. But notice what he says. He says that if you say you live in the light, but you hate your brother, you are in the darkness. Not only that, but the one who loves his brother remains in the light, and God is light. We want to be in the light, right? We don't want to be in the darkness. We don't want to be in the shadows. We don't want to be in the deception. We don't want to be in the destruction of being in the darkness. And some of us last week, it was a moment where we had to kind of come face to face with the reality that we've been ignoring sin in our life. We've said sin's not a big deal. Listen, sin is a big deal. Jesus died for it. Let's come to Christ, and let's let him cleanse us of that sin. Let's, let it, let's, let's ask him to help us walk in truth and in light. But he says, the one who loves his brother remains in light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Not only do we stumble in our relationship with God, when we say that we love God but we don't like people, we don't, not only we stumble, but guess what? Other people around us stumble because they see Christians, and this is what it looks like. You see Christians who go to church on Sunday and treat their people in their workplace like trash on Monday. There's a disconnect, right? Or how about this one? They go to church on Sunday, they sing songs, lift their hands, they hear scripture taught, and then they go to lunch with their family <laughs> and just wail on their kids. I'm not talking about physically, like with their ver- verbal, like just be angry and impatient and rude. Or, or, or for that matter, they like go to a restaurant and you, you talk about Jesus here, and then you go and you stiff the waiter or you treat them like trash, Listen, we value people, we love people, and it's a direct connection. So if if it's divorced for you, if it's disconnected for you, that's not of God. Got to bring this back into play to understand that John is saying, listen, you can't say you love God, can't walk in the light, can't have a close relationship with God and not care about people. And in fact, he even says the one who hates his brother is in the darkness. There's a disconnect between them and God. They walk in darkness. They're stumbling around, purposeless, thinking all of life is about me, thinking all of life is just about what I can do, and all about me getting my satisfaction and me getting my significance and worth and value and all these things, and he's just kind of stumbling through the darkness and doesn't even know where he's going. There's just a real purposelessness overall, a confusion spiritually. In fact, some people... And I've been here. I'm, just, I'm not telling you, it's just you. I've been here. There have been times where I sat down to read my Bible and I'm like, God, I want to be close to you. And you know what God said to me? If you want to be close to me, you need to go ask for forgiveness from that person over there. You ever had that moment? You want to get, be close to me, you need to go tell your wife you're sorry for what you just said to her. Oh, but God, I want to be close to you. Well, then you need to go make it right with your wife. Oh, but God, like, let's just have some good time together right now. No, you need to go make it right with your wife. Like, have you ever been there? You know why? Because God is serious about how we treat one another. And we don't want to just walk in darkness, stumbling and fumbling our way through. We need God to bring light, and that light will lead us to love. As I said on the front end, sometimes when we talk about all this, we can get into this downward spiral of feeling a lot of doubts. Am I really a Christian? Am I really a follower of Jesus? Am I really a child of God? You know what? I don't know your heart. Here's what I can say. If you are here in this room today and you have personally come to a place where you said, Jesus, I cannot save myself. I am a sinner. I am a rebellious person who has rejected your commands. I have I've lied or I've stolen or I've done whatever. I've, I've, I have messed up. I have blown it. If, if you've ever been to that point where you've realized I have screwed up, I've blown it. And you said to Jesus, I I know I cannot save myself, but I believe that what you did on the cross for me in taking on the suffering and the, the beating, all the pain that you took on, that in that moment what was done on the cross was sufficient to forgive me and to save me. If you've ever come to that point, you believe that, you've put your trust in that, you are a child of God, okay? Sealed. If you've never received that gift, if you've never by faith said, Jesus, I believe that what you did on the cross was sufficient to forgive me of my sin and to set me free. If you don't believe that, if you've never come to a place you believe that, that's the most important thing you could do today. It's the most important thing you can do. I could tell you all day long how to fix your marriage. I could tell you all, all day long how to not to be a jerk at your workplace. I could tell you all day long about how to you know, get over your, your frustration when you're driving down the road and people cut you off. I could tell you all day long about how to be a better person. We don't need a better person. We need Jesus to save us. And when he saves us, we will become better people. We will grow to be more like Jesus. But that's where it starts, is a free gift. Not one you can earn, not one that you can work your way to, one that he has given to you freely, free of charge. Not free to him, free to us. Free for us, but not free to him because he had to pay the ultimate price, which was his death and suffering. So here's the thing. For those of you that may be struggling today, I want you to hear this last section. Let me just read it over to you. Okay, let me read it over us today because John kind of digresses here. As a typical pastor, a typical preacher, he just kind of goes off for a second. Kind of, He's been going through this linear thought and then all of a sudden he's just like, oh yeah, I want to make sure you hear this. I think it fits so well because he's talking so hard about walking in the light and people are starting to feel this conviction. It's starting to come on them, And he says, I want to remind you that if you have put your trust in Christ, here's what's true of you today. So hear this personally. If you have put your trust in Jesus, hear this, this is true of you today. He's gonna use the word uh, children, he's gonna use the word fathers, and he's gonna use the word young men. But what he's really trying to say here is he's trying to say it's for everybody. Okay, he's not not specifically talking just to fathers or just to young men, he's talking to everybody. We know this letter was written to everybody, okay? So commentators, people who understand scripture, they, they realize that's what he was doing here. So just hear this for yourself today. I need to hear this for myself today. In fact, if it'll help you, if you want to, close your eyes and just listen to the words as we read. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven because of Jesus' name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have had victory over the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you have come to know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and God's word remains in you and you have had victory over the the evil one. Receive that today because that is true if you are a child of God. You are forgiven, you are set free, you know Jesus, you know the Father, and you have victory today because of Christ. Not just because it's words that we kind of make up. No, yeah. We celebrate that, don't we? Because we know it's not just things we make up. This is what God's word declares about us today. That we are forgiven, we are free, we are in the light So now that we know that we are in the light, don't just talk, walk. Don't just talk about it, walk in it. I'm saying it to myself this week. God, may I not just talk about you and what I believe about you, but may I walk in obedience to you because I want to, because I understand how great your love is. Let's pray.